listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, uh, tonight um, I'm looking forward to wrapping up. Uh, our series, Do It Scared. Uh, if you are uh, new with us, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, I think you, you didn't have to have been here the last few weeks to uh, figure out where we're going today, but just a little bit of a recap uh, for you as we've been talking about essentially how to live uh, courageously. And uh, what does it look like to actually live courageously uh, in the face of fear? And we talked a lot about courage, and courage really isn't the absence of fear, right? Um, courage is moving forward in light of it. In fact, we highlight, especially week one, that uh, there are courageous people uh, who are living courageous lives, not because they don't have fear in it. No, they just figure out a way to kind of move through it, and they, they do it anyway. They um, do it scared. And I, I wanted to start tonight um, by telling you uh, some things that I've had to do uh, scared, um, one of which is to try to overcome a fear, one of the largest fears that I've ever had in, in my world. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I need to confess to you tonight that one of the largest fears that I experience um, are horses. Uh, I, I don't like them at all. Um, and um, I, I think they're, they're beautiful, you know, uh, very strong, muscular, veins popping out everywhere type of uh, beasts. Uh, but I haven't had a great experience with it, okay? And so um, anyways, when I was in high school, it was the first time I was ever to get on a horse. Um, it didn't really work out well because uh, the horse got kicked from another horse in front of it and it kind of fell over with me on it, thanks a lot. Um, and I, luckily I didn't get hurt, but um, I, I was hurt emotionally, okay? It did damage something on the inside. And so I, I just had a lot of fear uh, for it. So I would get into college and um, I would uh, volunteer with this parachurch ministry where part of my job was to chase after crazy high school teenage dudes, all right? Uh, basically fellows who would never darken the door of a church, essentially that were kind of like me when I was in middle school and high school. And so we would get the opportunity to go and have fun at these summer camps. And one summer camp, there was about 16 guys, just friends of mine from the uh, local high school and you get to just, just go crazy at this camp, all sorts of just fun stuff. And you would have free time, like, like pockets of free time. And you as their leader in your cabin would just, just live it up at camp. And then uh, they would basically assign different free time activities for your cabins. And so this particular day, they're like, hey, Ryan, all right, in the next 30 minutes for your free time activity, uh, you and your dudes are going to go horseback riding. Um. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so we, we start walking to the stables and I gotta be honest, at this point, I'm a little bit older. Um, I feel like I've got a little bit more like, okay, you know, I got a little bit more courage. Maybe that was something when I was, you know, uh, three or four years ago, so much longer in the past. And I was like, hey, maybe I got a model behavior to these dudes that I'm trying to lead. And uh, so I started to be like, you know what? I can do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step courageously and I'm, I'm gonna try to overcome this fear to a point to where I start getting a little bit cocky. And so we're at the stables and they're like, all right. Uh, they start naming like the, the names of the horses. All right, all right, uh, we got, uh, who wants Curly Sue? You know, and dude raises hand. All right, who wants Larry? Cool. And uh, so I'm like, all right, hey, you know, yeah, I'm like kind of being loud and they're like, hey, anybody ridden horses before? <laughs> they're like, all right, you're gonna get lightning. Uh, and so I was like, okay, fellas, yeah, that's right. Um, so we get on the horses, um, we get on the trail and, and everything's fine. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. You know, I'm, I'm finally overcoming some stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden lightning starts to just kind of 
you know, get a little, get a little quicker. And I'm like, okay, pump the brakes, big dog. And so lightning uh, then starts to get a little bit quicker, not crazy, not wooden sprint or anything like that. But um, there's part of the trail where every horse goes straight. And so all the people in front of me are going straight and he takes a right into a wooded area. And I am like getting scraped by branches being like, what have I, what have I gotten into? You know, start off great, had all sorts of courage and, you know, whatever, but then all of a sudden lightning and his, you know, ridiculousness got, got crazy. But anywho, things circled back. It was fine, but I really left like, okay, I gave it a shot, but somewhere in the middle, everything went haywire. What in the world happened? I don't know why I did this. Years would go by. Um, I'm in my uh, early to mid twenties. I think a buddy of mine named Scout uh, calls me out of the blue. He's like, Hey man, uh, you're never going to believe this, but you know, Rebecca, I'm like, yeah, Rebecca, the girl that you're kind of, you know, sweet on, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. Um, she's invited me to come over to her parents' house um, and just kind of hang out. She's got a friend over there and um, she said, Hey, if you can bring somebody, that would be awesome. Come over. So, you know, Ryan, could you please come with me? I'm like, Scout, I got you. Like, I'll be your wingman. Let's do it. So Scott comes, picks me up. We're headed to her parents' place. You know, a couple minutes before we arrive there, I'm just like, here, it's like, hey, just, you know, do you even know what we're doing? He's like, oh, well, her parents live on a farm and she's been really looking forward to riding horses. I was like, oh man, okay, all right. And so um, after I passed out, uh, Scout um, was like, what's the, what's the big deal? It's like, look, here's the deal. I don't like horses. They don't like me, but I'm here for you. Um, let's make it happen, Captain. Okay, so we get there. Horses, they're fine. I get on this because I'm like, I got up enough courage. Again, I'm a little bit older. I'm like, all right, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can do it. Okay, I'm doing it. So I'm on this horse. We're trotting along. And I'm like, okay, not that bad. You know, um, starts getting a little bit faster. I'm like, okay, this isn't as bad as I remembered. You know, like, I got this. And then all of a sudden, um, this horse starts to kind of like, that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, oh, um, what is going on? You know, and I'm like, oh no, please no. And then about that time, I'm not making any of this up. I promise you this horse, zero to 60, just like that, like a four-legged Tesla, just getting after it. And, I, and no kidding, I'm like, oh my, you know, we're going nuts. You know, you can picture it. And I am mortified, you know, and in my head, I'm like, I gave it, a, a, you know, a shot and here I am and this thing that I had to get on a ladder to get on top of is going crazy. And so I didn't know what to do. I've never been in this position before. So I'm scared. I'm looking death, you know, right in the face and I'm just like going nuts. And then the only thing I could think of was like, let go of the uh, reins and throw myself off. And um, in the snow skiing community, my friends and I would call that a yard sale and uh, just things went everywhere. Like, you know, boot flew off, you know, big hole into the ground. It was not, it was not pretty. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I just wanted to confess that to you tonight. Like, I'm just not great with horses, okay? Just not great with horses. But here's the deal though. I knew that as I got older, I, I did want to kind of take a step back, you know, into this courage and, and thinking like, hey, I, I feel like I can do this. And I, and I did, I did just that. But here's the deal, when, when taking a step um, of courage, the worst thing that honestly I could tell you um, is that the hardest part is that initial step. Uh, the worst thing that we could tell you is that after you take that step, everything is gonna fall into place and, and you'll just be so glad that you did. But that's really never how life plays out, is it, right? I mean, think about it. Y'all think about your majors for a second. 
Some of you, uh, that major is harder than you thought it would be. Um, maybe that job is harder than you thought it would be. Maybe that relationship isn't as easy as you thought it would be. And some of you took a leadership position, whether it's in a job or in a student org or somewhere, and you're like, oh gosh, I didn't know that it was gonna be this lonely. So it's a whole lot lonelier than you thought it would be. You see, the lie um, that uh, I could tell you is just, hey, exhibit courage, and then God's with you, and it'll all work out the way you hoped it would, um, but, but that's just not true. And so uh, if you take a step of courage into the unknown, into what God might be calling you to, into those relationships, into something new and outside of your comfort zone, well, here's what I've come to find out um, that I think with 100% certainty, at some point, you're going to face adversity. You're going to hit a wall, a roadblock. Uh, you're going to bump into some haters. You're, you're just going to fail. Um, and at some point, it's just going to be easier for you to quit than keep going. And when I've paid attention to this, uh, especially in my life, um, in the past and present, this usually kind of happens when passion and enthusiasm shrinks, uh, second guessing begins, and then quitting is on the verge. I mean, everything is smooth until it's not. Everything goes according to plan until it doesn't. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that where life is just beating you down. You ever felt that where just things are stacked um, against you? And so what do you do? What do you do when that happens? What, what happens when all that difficulty ha you know, is just happening around you and you, you didn't really anticipate it? What do you do when you feel like God called you to something and you stepped into that calling and then you hit adversity and you hit a wall and things didn't start to kind of work out according to plan. And so as we conclude our series tonight, I want to look at a letter uh, written to uh, basically a young leader named Timothy, um, who was like a spiritual son uh, to the apostle Paul. Um, and primarily because of what he experienced because when I look back in the rearview mirror of the last two weeks that we talked about and, and trying to encourage everybody to take a step uh, and, and do it scared, um, but the reality is, hey, what if you have done that? What if you have listened and obeyed and, and had some courage and you're trying to follow God's calling for your life and you've really taken that step and then, uh-oh, hold on a second, pump the brakes. The horse of life starts to buck. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I just said that, yeah. No, but seriously, you, you hit a wall. Like, what, what do you do when that happens? And that is essentially uh, what Timothy is going through. And uh, just some context about uh, 2 Timothy, where we're going to start tonight, is basically it's the second to last letter uh, that Paul writes um, before his death. And so you can imagine the emotion that Paul is sensing and feeling, knowing that he's soon to be martyred in Rome. And he, he just wanted to write one more letter to his spiritual son. Timothy, someone he's, he's traveled with, he's cried with, he's laughed with, done amazing work with, just to encourage him, hey, hey, don't be discouraged. Don't back down from the call that God has in your life. See, Timothy did have the courage to kind of step into a leadership role, basically overseeing this church, um, but started to feel like he bit off more than he could chew. And it just got harder and he got more challenged. And um, Basically, it's just like, ah, I find myself in a place I never thought I would be. And, and maybe that's part of you and your story, is that maybe somewhere you've bitten off more than you could potentially chew, and you're like, uh-oh, I'm starting to feel discouraged. I'm starting to feel a little isolated and alone. 
And so I feel like Paul is writing to Timothy um, to tell us about that story because at some point or another, we're going to be experiencing that, whether that's your story today or in the weeks and months to come. So this is what Paul writes uh, to Timothy. Uh, we always put the scripture uh, on the screens. Um, if, you have, if, you, if you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy for a little bit. If you've got the YouVersion app, you know how to, to scroll that as well. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Hey, Timothy, you might be struggling with your own faith. All right, but here's the deal. I know that your truth, I know that your faith is true. Your faith is real. I know that you have been with God. I know that you trust God. I know you believe God has something for you. I want to remind you of this, Timothy. So Paul keeps going. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands. For this reason... All right, basically, hey, because I know your faith is true. I remind you because, hey, here's the deal. I know it's easily, um, it's easy to get discouraged and forget. And I love this, to fan the flame, to fan into the flame, the gift of God. Hey, Timothy, you you might not feel adequate. You might've hit some roadblocks. Hey, maybe the calling on your life is kind of harder than you anticipated being. Hey, but here's the deal. Rather than giving up and quit, I just wanna remind you that God has, has gifted you and he's got a purpose for you. He's called you. And uh, adversity doesn't change how he's gifted you for the, you know, the calling God has on your life. So rather than give up, fan into the flame, the gift God gave you. Paul is basically saying, hey, Timothy, don't forget, use your gifts, don't neglect them, don't quit. Use the way God has gifted you to, to reach your fullest potential. But here's the thing, um, when we look at this story, and I think what Timothy um, has experienced is that there's nothing like difficulty and adversity and pushback to make us forget who we are, whose we are, and the calling that God has on our life. See, I, I, I like seeing it this way. Adversity works to dampen our passion and enthusiasm and even works against us and leads us to doubt where God has us. And if, he, and if he was, he's even gotten the right person. So here's the deal. I really like that. I've spent some time thinking about this. Um, the fanning into the flame part. Um, everyone's probably been around a fire, correct? Nod your head. Yeah, you've been around that uh, campfire or, or fireplace. And um, you just know, here's the deal. If you leave the flame alone for too long, what happens? What happens? Not rhetorical. Yeah, it goes out. All right, so you just, you gotta stoke it, right? It occasionally, occasionally needs stirred and fanned, and as you're stirring and fanning the fire, um, it looks like it's kind of waking it back up. You know, it's trying to figure out, oh, you know what? This is what I'm capable of. This is what it's capable of. And that's what I think Paul is trying to remind Timothy of. And I honestly believe that's what he wants to remind us of. So Paul goes on. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. We're gonna camp out on this for a little bit. A spirit of fear? 
We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. We're trying to label these and looking at these different fears in our life. Hey, a spirit of fear, that's not the spirit that God gave you, Timothy. The spirit God gave you and, and that lives in you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. The spirit that God gave you isn't one of fear. It isn't the one that backs down or shies away. It isn't one that's so easily deterred. It's not the one that's so easily flustered. It's not one that just runs away. No, the spirit that, that God has given you, Timothy, is one of, of power and love and self-control. And so um, I want to look at that for the next few minutes of those, those three uh, specifically and just kind of ask that question because it begs to be asked. It's like, hey, how do these three virtues that the spirit empowers in us uniquely uh, combat living fearfully, help us walk through adversity and reach our fullest God-given potential? So here's the first one, a spirit of power. And I want you to think about it kind of like when things go difficult, when things are difficult in your world. His spirit makes us, um, I would say, spiritually strong. Um, it, it gives us kind of the spiritual grit so that we're not so easily shaken. See, our struggles, um, our weaknesses, our failures, our hardships uh, are weighed against the confidence in God. And that perspective makes us spiritually strong and kind of gives us this supernatural staying power, no matter what you're facing. And I know this to be true because Paul would write um, a little bit later, some of you've heard this before in 2 Corinthians, he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The times I pleaded, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, here's the deal. No one, no one really knows what the thorn was. A lot of, a lot of scholars um, have their opinions. Uh, some people thought it was uh, basically malaria or migraines, uh, maybe not even having the, you know, kind of like the ability to speak well. Um, and uh, there's just, anyways, here's the deal. He had the temptation of wanting to get away with it. But we know that it's probably some type of physical affliction. And Paul begged God to take it away. But here's the deal. Um, regardless of kind of what it was, it was obviously a hindrance uh, to his ministry and what God was calling him to. But what fascinates me is what he says next. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that power, that word, it's a little same little Greek word, uh, that Paul wrote about to Timothy, the power of Jesus uh, brought to fullness and complete, um, it's bought, uh, brought to completeness when we are weak. And Jesus' divine power is more clearly displayed on the backdrop of human weakness. I think that's what he's trying to talk about. And rather than taking adversity away, uh, God gave him this grace to get through it. And so he continues, he says this, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I don't know if you're this way. I don't know if you're walking around and be like, hey, let me tell you about my weaknesses. You know, that's not really what we do. But Paul's saying, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight, this is crazy, in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God's grace transformed Paul's perspective. 
things that in his ministry he would naturally hated that would cause him to quit, like weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulty, like we just read. He actually learned to welcome them and persevere through it all, which is amazing to me. So when we come to the end of ourselves, I think Paul experienced this, that Christ is the only thing left to see. When we are weak, then Jesus by his strength can make us spiritually strong. And so sometimes God uh, will allow thorns in our life, uh, brick walls, hardships, uh, difficulty, because even though there are things that he calls you and I to, God is always gonna be working on you. And I, I know this to be true of me, because here's what I'm learning, that while God works through you, he also works on you. God will work on you just as much as he'll work through you. And if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. And some of you are doubting that, that God has called you to be in this type of position or to do this type of major or this type of grad school experience or this type of profession. And you're beginning to doubt, uh-oh, it's gotten too hard. What have I gotten myself into? God, if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. So the spirit that God gave you gives you the power to persevere no matter what you face. I think that's a beautiful reminder. So it's the spirit of power and now the spirit of love. And, and, and here's how I want us to think about this. It's kind of through the context of people who are hard to love. You have anybody that's hard to love in your life? Not so. His spirit empowers uh, this unconditional love. God will call you to something um, and to someone and, the, and will put people in your path that we're called to love and you will not want to. People you disagree with, people who frustrate you, people who are disappointed uh, by you and you're disappointed with, people who want to do nothing, have nothing to do with you, people who disgust you, people who are against you, right? It's amazing to me. Jesus, Jesus said one time this, this famous spot on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I've had a hard time with this. See, there, there will be people in our lives that we are called to love, that are difficult to love. In fact, you'll actually have some anger when you're trying to love them. You, you, it will scare you to love them, but the spirit God gave you empowers God's unconditional love to flow through you. And I've seen it. And some of you have seen it. I mean, it'll allow you to love someone and not give up on them, even though they're headed in the wrong direction. Even though you might not completely agree with their lifestyle. Um, this, this amazing love uh, will allow you to have forgiveness for someone who hurt you. Or being kind to someone that is annoying, needy, and selfish. Uh, for me, there's no one more difficult in my world to love uh, than my dad. Um, I want to be sensitive and respectful to him. I want to honor him um, because at some point in life, uh, at least for me, as a young 40-year-old, I come to the realization that there's no, there's no parent out there that's a perfect 10. And I don't know your situation and you're like, my dad's a zero, my dad is an 11. I don't know, you know, we have some great parents, not so great parents, but to, to be respectful to my dad, like he didn't have a great model either. But honestly, it is really difficult to love my dad. 
Um, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, I have a younger sister, and my, um, she's my only sibling. She is unbelievable, fantastic human being. When my mom was in the delivery room uh, delivering my sister, my dad was drunk at a different location having an affair while my mom is delivering my sister. Probably not the wisest thing to do. Um, so I, I would come to find out that later and be like, gosh, that, that seemed, you know, why wouldn't you not love my mom during that? That's uh, beyond my comprehension. Um, growing up, I, I would play sports. Um, that was kind of only the, the, the language that my dad knew, and, and that was fine. And honestly, I appreciated that he would go spend time with me. Like if I was like, hey, dad, can we go throw some? I don't ever remember him not saying that. So kudos to him. I've got three boys who love baseball, and that's all they want to do sometimes. So I can appreciate that, but when I wanted, I feel like a dad who would help me out emotionally in some of the things I was going through, he just wasn't there. My dad would say, hey, I didn't really start becoming a dad until um, really in my 50s. And I would say, eh, agree to disagree. Um, when I was going into middle school, my dad would remarry a woman named Tiny, um, who was very, uh, Tina, she wanted to be called Tiny. Uh, bizarre. Um, but here's the problem with that is Tiny became uh, very abusive to our family and uh, physically, emotionally, uh, verbally, uh, a lot to my sister and to my dad. And um, it was so obvious that she was unhealthy and doing a lot of damage to, to us and, and me and my sister. But my dad was like, I don't really care what you think. I love her. I mean, my, my mom is trying to get in my dad's face. Family members trying to be like, hey, my dad's name is Alan. Alan, snap out of it, dude. This lady is toxic. But my dad was like, I don't really care. I care about me. I'm in love with her. Sorry. Um, and that was hard. And I started to develop a lot of resentment. Uh, my dad would um, leave her finally. Um, and throughout that, that little season, he would actually blame me for a lot of the relational conflict that I experienced because Tiny had two sons, Doug and Brock. So for Christmas one year, um, I got two stepbrothers. Uh, that was weird. And um, I didn't have any problem with them, but I didn't really engage with them. I'm in middle school. And my dad was like, hey, why aren't, why aren't you doing more to, to be around them and the family? I'm like, you know, dad, like they're strangers to me. Fast forward, my dad um, gets in a relationship with a, a woman named Connie. I loved Connie. She was fantastic. She had two girls um, who were super sweet, younger than me, um, just adorable little human beings. Loved them. Loved Connie. Loved them. I didn't know them. My, this was kind of when I was in high school, early college. Uh, my dad would be in a relationship with her for a couple years. And then my dad one day was like, hey, um, Connie and I broke up. I was like, gosh, I'm so sorry. I would get a letter a week later from my dad saying, the reason why we broke up is, is you, your fault. Because the one or two times that I asked you to come and hang out with my, you know, uh, my new girlfriend and her kids, you had something better going on. And I was like, dad, like, in my mind, I'm like, I, I'm like essentially a young adult. You asked me to go do bowling like you know, in two hours, but I already had plans to go spend the night at Trey Parker's house. you know. What's up with that? So I've got this letter where my dad is blaming me uh, for a lot of his relational stuff. And so anyways, I could go on and on and on there. And I used to carry all sorts of confusion and torment and, oh gosh, a lot of disdain towards them. Um, but things, something 
changed. And what changed is, honestly, I began a relationship with Jesus. And um, it didn't mean that I didn't struggle with loving my dad. I just had a new kind of context. And I will tell you that it's true that God's spirit gave me this, this unbelievable amount of courage to love him. And uh, I mean, if you asked Ellen, she'd be like, I don't even know how you do it. And sometimes like, I don't know either because I'm tired of hearing him make fun of my sister's weight. I'm tired of hearing him make fun and tease my kids for certain things. Um, I'm tired of his awkwardness in certain situations. I'm tired of him burying my mom in certain aspects of verbal assaults. I'm tired of all that. He's really hard to love for me. But yet I'm like, but he's my dad. And, and um, I, how can I love him in this state? And and so I, I yield things to like, hey, yeah, I want you to be a great granddad to my grandsons. And I, I want to engage in conversations with you. And I want to try to give you the benefit of the doubt. And honestly, I don't only think the only reason I can do that at times, and I don't do it super well, is because of this grace that Jesus gives me. So the spirit God gave you, gives me, gives you the courage to love no matter who you face. The last thing uh, we'll talk about and then uh, we'll be done is this a spirit of self-control. And think about the, the decision-making processes in your life where sometimes it's like, hey, you're kind of making a quick, rash decision because of a, a hard circumstance or a failure. You've probably been there just like I have. Here's the deal. His spirit grows in us. And it's a spirit of wisdom and good judgment. And, he, and the reality is, as humans, we, we are kind of reactionary by nature. And so just kind of thinking about this, what, what is self-control? Well, I feel like it's kind of having a wise head on your shoulders. Um, prudence, which is one of the definitions that I found, which is a word we don't even really use that much, and good judgment. So thinking about prudence, I'm like, uh, that seems familiar. I'm not really sure. So do this like Google search. Uh, realize, oh, it's in Proverbs. Uh, this verse is super helpful to me. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Basically simple, they're kind of naive, uh, gullible, prudent. They kind of think in excess or excess, um, assess before they act. Simple kind of look at life um, like it's a fairy tale. Simple believe that um, nothing's really gonna go wrong. Simple people believe that the hardest part of the journey is the beginning of the journey. Simple people begin second-guessing everything the second something goes wrong. Simple people react and regret rather than process and respond. But the prudent, they think and assess before they act. I think the prudent, they, they understand that things do go wrong. Uh, they expect things to go wrong in kind of a realistic kind of way. They understand that plans change. They seek wise counsel. They look at the bigger picture. They process and respond rather than react and, and receive regret. And basically when I think of it, I, um, I kind of think of it like a rubber band. We, we've got this rubber, beer, rubber band kind of uh, jar in our house. And um, if you ever, you know, mess with a rubber band, you know, it's pretty crazy. You can stretch it. It's, 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 fun maybe for some of you in a, in a weird way. And, uh, but you're stretching it. It's, it's, that's a rubber band, right? Um, we can bend it. We can pull it. We can twist it. Um, but they're going to always come back to their original shape. Rubber bands are resilient. And I think the reason why they're resilient is because they're flexible. 
And I think about it through like prudent people, prudent people who put thoughts and intention in their decision understand that life requires a level of flexibility. They're not thrown off by rash decisions because plans change or things get a little bit more difficult than expected. They take a step back and they work through it. So the simple react and often regret, but the prudent process and respond well. And so I think that what we can learn here is that the spirit God gave you empowers you to discern well. So this verse in 2 Timothy 1, 7, um, I would love for you to, to, to take with you, um, to think about that, that God did not give us a spirit of fear. And some of you, if you're like me, you, you carry that, you wear it sometimes like a cloak. You don't really know what to do with it. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so I, I wrote some questions. You can write these down if you want. But think about power. What current situation in your life needs reminding of God's spirit of power? What current situation in your life needs reminding of God's spirit of power? Love. Who in your life is so hard to love that you need to leverage the grace of God to empower you to love them as best as you can? Not perfectly, not 24-7, as best as you can. And lastly, self-control. Where in your life do you need to slow the process in order to truly discern? Is this really God's best? for me in this relationship, in this major, in this season of life. It is in you, not because you can create it on your own, but because God's spirit can empower you. And we, we, when we set out to create this series, we, we definitely wanted it. Hello. Um, someone needs to turn off their uh, ringtone. Um, we definitely set out for this, this series to encourage you, to remind you that as you step out um, into courage, um, as you choose to live courageously in the midst of fears, that you would know that, that our Heavenly Father is with you. And hardship and roadblocks and adversity, and when all that starts to defeat you, with God, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it scared. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you do not give us a spirit of fear. That is not from you. And I know that in my own life and in a lot of my friends here tonight in their lives, um, we give a lot of time, of mental equity and energy to our fears and relationships and in school, and in what's next after school, in all sorts of areas and ways. God, would you please help us? Would you be so gracious to help us to remember that you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power that's in, in us to overcome that, a, a spirit of love that we can love people that are hard to love. And sometimes the the hardest people to love are, are ourselves and have self-control, that we wouldn't be so reactionary 
that we would slow down, that we'd process, and we would invite you into that process and discern, ah, is this, is this the best thing for me? I know it all just happened. Everything just hit the fan. It hit the wall. Hardship and adversity is here. Uh-oh. And you react, and we will react to that. But God, in those moments, would you be so, so gracious to help us to slow down and process? Thank you, Heavenly Father, um, that you're a guy that can be trusted. Thank you for giving us this truth and these texts to help us navigate life and the complexity of fears and hardship. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us all on this journey uh, to really live courageously and to live out the calling and the unique callings that you've given us all. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.